And welcome to Inside the Pressure Cooker, where cooks and chefs share their stories of life inside the kitchen. I do have the uh, the luxury of having one hand. Um, you know, I, I can work on a line great, but it's the first real first real time in my life where I've been put in a position where I need to produce for a living that I'm not as good as I would like to be at it because of the fact that I've only got one hand. You know, I grew up playing basketball, playing golf, playing football, um, crossing monkey bars and juggling were really the only two things that I wasn't able to do. And, and I'm perfectly, perfectly functional on a line. Seeing other people go faster used to bother me a lot, but now it's kind of the, Kind of the okay, like I don't, I don't need to be doing that anyway. Like if I'm, if I'm ever on the line, you know, if you're ever, if you ever see the chef on the line, um, in a, in a pretty high production restaurant, either he's just knocking off the rust or something has gone wrong. That's why I call it a luxury because my, you know, my, my team, uh, kind of understands that. <laughs> on, a, on a podcast, you don't really get to see it. And it's a, it's a, it's an interesting, uh, facet kind of, of of who I am that that I think lends lends a little bit of a a twist to our kitchen. But you talk about the chip on your shoulder, and I talk about the chip on my shoulder jokingly. But because I've only got one hand, it's kind of the reason I have one uh, a, a constant desire to prove people wrong. Again, whether the judgment is real or imagined, you know, all of that kind of goes to that to that drive. That's Chef Rich with the Heritage Table in Frisco talking about his challenges. We, we all have challenges that we face, um, personal obstacles um, to be able to get through. Uh, his are, or his, I should say, is very unique and it's fantastic. Because at no point did he let that define him. It's, hey, quit bitching and just do it. That would be the best way to put it. He did it. So in this conversation as well, we actually just ended up diving right into it. And I didn't get a chance to ask him about his background. Um, just the conversation just took off. And um, so, but I will fill you all in here. So Rich uh, graduated from Baylor with his degree in journalism and was a sports writer for a while. Um, and the first time I actually met Rich he came to a restaurant I was at at the time and was he had a food blog that he was writing. And this food blog, um, he came in to study the burger. He was writing about the burger. And sounds kind of generic. But the thing is that this burger was just voted the best burger in Texas by Texas Monthly, which is a big deal. Because burgers in Texas, for some reason, um, are a big thing. And everybody's always kind of jockeying for that best burger spot, whether it's locally or or uh, statewide, right? And so he came in, and first time I met him, I was like, man, how's this going to work? He wasn't just writing it. He was working here. And he was going to take this burger from start to finish all the way through, um, you know, from uh, the patties to the prep, all the prep, everything that was involved in it. And leaning all the way through. And he was there for, uh, I'd say, about three or four days. Um, because, uh, so the other part about that is this burger that we're talking about, I don't know if I just mentioned it, but 
it was only available two days a week, right? It was available for brunch and that was it. And, um, and so Rich spent a couple days working with us, uh, prepping these burger and taking it all the way to fruition. And, um, and it was fantastic watching him. He jumped right in without any hesitation. And it, from there, it just kind of grew. And I, I kind of lost um, touch with him a little bit. Um, but the next thing you know, he popped up. He was running a catering company. And and then that catering company turned into kind of like almost full-time gigs. He was doing uh, food on the weekends for a piano bar. And then from there, that turned into catering for the Dallas Stars. Um, and this is all before he actually had a, a restaurant um, that he was working out of. And fast forward, I mean, he gathered enough capital and he started uh, the Heritage Table in Frisco. It is a gorgeous uh, house. Um, it's uh, I'll put some pictures up on the website of it. Uh, it's a 107-year-old house. Um, and on the inside, they did a fantastic job. At, I don't want to say renovating it because it was in fairly decent shape before. Uh, but just taking care of it and you just walk in and it just feels good and the food fits it, right? He does a fantastic job at it, taking all the elements that he's talking about um, of the restaurant, the the clientele and in the, the building itself and bringing it all together into one cohesive experience. He's he's had to make a lot of changes as he's gone, uh, which we all have. Uh, his have been very smart decisions, and the the restaurant has been thriving. If you're in the North Texas area and you haven't checked it out, you need to. Definitely worth the drive from wherever you're at. Uh, you can take a look in the show notes uh, for a link to their website uh, or their social media to kind of see what they're going on. And make your reservation and come on out. And then once you're here, ask him why he's not doing brunch anymore. Uh, but here's the rest of this episode uh, with Chef Rich of the Heritage Table. Um, you're the chef owner of the Heritage Table here in Frisco. Uh, still, give me a quick elevator pitch. Mm-hmm. You know, who is who, who are you? Um, I'm the chef and owner of the Heritage Table, um, a restaurant we started in 2017. Um, but actually before that was a catering company. Um, we, um, are focused on, um, upscale American food, uh, which kind of focuses on our local farms, um, local ranches, uh, you know, integrating ourselves with the, with the culinary producers, the, the, the food producers in Texas and, uh, taking what they give us, turning it into something that's, it's particularly special and unique uh, in, in the Frisco and North Texas area. Fantastic. Um, we're in an old, thanks. Yeah. Um, we're, we're in an old 1917 Victorian house. Uh, it's one of the, one of the few old things in Frisco. Uh, mm-hmm. Main street's got a few of the old houses and I like to call it a, uh, a little pocket of, of character and charm and a swath of, of suburbia. Um, <laughs> But it it really helps it really helps define kind of who we are and what we do. Absolutely, um, yeah. You know, you walk into yeah, you, you walk into an old house like this, and it's got you know the original hundred and five year old floors, and you almost expect um, a certain fare, a certain experience, 
and we kind of let the house let the house uh, guide that experience, and then and then we fill in the rest and hopefully make it a special one. Yeah, absolutely. No, I I love what you've done with the building. It's, um, I mean, it's such an old building too. There's only so much you can do internally, right? I mean, is it? Yeah, the build. Is it historic? Is it considered historic or part of a historic um, district? It's not, um, and it's something we we looked into, uh, and and there there are benefits, uh, but but to me it really it, it places it places restrictions on you. Yeah. Particularly as we were opening, I didn't want to, um, you know, I didn't want to be forced to do one thing or another with it. Yeah. Uh, particularly considering my vision was to keep everything as original as possible. Um, which, which we've done a pretty good job of, like I said, the, the floors are, are still original. We've got a lot of the, uh, original moldings, that sort of thing in here. Uh, yep. And you know, I, I, when, when you have a, a creative vision, you don't really. Uh, yeah. It doesn't always, uh, you don't really flex with the, what the city or somebody else tells you you need to do. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. And, and honestly, Frisco was great to work with. Okay. Um, you, you always, you always, you always worry about. You always worry about, you know, what's, what's the bureaucracy? What's the government going to do? And, <laughs> and honestly, it was, it was a really nice surprise. Yeah. Is they always have their vision of what you should be. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Um, no, I, we've done that before in a couple of restaurants I've been a part of where, uh, mm -hmm. we actually looked at joining or having the, uh, one of the buildings become part of the historic society or something. Um, not right. just because we really wanted to, but a couple of reasons. One, um, they actually would have given us money for some of the renovations. Um, and two, yep. it would have bypassed some of the current code that was out there that mm -hmm. would have just been ridiculous for us to update the building to meet certain code. Um, so it was, yeah, we we had we had a scare um, that we would we were going to have some. Uh, have to put sprinklers in the entire building mm -hmm. and fire sprinklers. And it would have been, I mean, it would have been the cost of the building. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and uh, <laughs> yeah, build, build out particularly in the old buildings. It's always full of really fun surprises. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, no doubt. And uh, well, that's fantastic. So, um, so you kind of hit a point here where you said uh, it's kind of a, an upscale American. Now, this is kind of, I don't want to call it a rant on my side, but this is always, I, I love this term. And I'm saying this with as much sarcasm as I can translate through a microphone. Um, but right. new American cuisine. What uh, is that to you? Anything that's not something else. <laughs> uh, okay. I mean, it's a catch all. <laughs> Right. Um, it's, it's anything that, you know, in my mind can, can't be specifically classified as any other, any other cuisine from any other country or geography. So it's a catch all. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, generally, generally new American cuisine in my mind is going to cost you anywhere from 15 to $80 an entree. Right. Okay. So you're looking uh, at it's it interesting. Going, looking at it more of a per plate perspective. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
um, it's it's going to well because if it's if it's if it's American cuisine, then right, you're thinking burgers, uh, which I guess still still can be in that twenty dollars price range now. Yeah. Um, Welcome to the inflation, but uh, right. Um, but new new American cuisine, I um, I don't feel like it defines much. It's it's vague. It implies a lot without really specifying anything. <laughs> yeah, it's like I, I was with the restaurant and it was classified. So I don't remember how it came classified. Whether it was an owner or media said so it, it's a new American cuisine, mm-hmm. and I was like, what the fuck does that even mean? Because I mean, we had burgers, ribs, yeah. roast chicken, like. In a, in a lot of ways, I mean, very American is, you know, uh, like almost American bistro. Right. Um, right. But right. and I remember going through some of the training and someone was asking me about it. And I was like, you know what? I don't really know what new American means because that applies like right. what, well, what, what, what's the original American cuisine? Because it feels like we almost skipped yeah. that and went straight to new American. Sure. So, I mean, it's, it, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, funny because i you know i i want to define what we do as modern texas cuisine um because we you know we source from from texas farms sure we we incorporate um we incorporate a lot of um a lot of the cultures of texas into our food you know i don't you know you look at our chicken ricotta and be like okay there's not a vast italian influence in texas so yeah it's but it's it's fried chicken uh, you know it's you know, we we incorporate a deep fried chicken we, we incorporate um you know traditions that the texas cultures have into the food but you know stephen piles and dean fearing kind of already got that modern texas cuisine stuff and it mine doesn't look like theirs well and even then um so i i almost i mean their modern texas was 30 at least 30 years ago sure yeah yeah and and which i mean they they're they were pathfinders sure obviously they their importance cannot be overstated um but my food doesn't look like theirs i don't know if i'm even allowed to call my food modern texas cuisine do they have a patent on it (laughs) do they have a trademark on it you know um, and so I have to fall back onto the American cuisine because I know it's accurate, but I also doesn't, I, I don't really know, um, more specifically how to, how to classify our menu. No, I mean, that's it kind of goes down and it makes it interesting because like, I, I like the, the concept of, of modern Texas because it just, it means it's, you know, um, refined or, uh, kind of fits what's going on and just kind of the blending of cultures that have happened over time, but staying true to the roots of it. Um, mm-hmm. But then you also get in stuck in, you know, when you say modern, do people automatically think fine dining upscale and expensive? Right. Right. Are, are we going to, are we going to have foams and, uh, and spirification <laughs> on, on our plates here? Uh, which, which you're not, by the way, here. <laughs> unless unless that foam is a whipped cream with your with your pie, um, <laughs> whippy cream, right? And it's and it's it's also tough because we're in an old house. Um, you know, there's we we walk this line between you know wanting wanting to put food in front of people that they recognize as 
something familiar to them. Yep. Um, while also making it, also allowing allowing our kitchen, allowing our um, uh, allowing our passion to show through in, in innovation and, and, and creating new things and flexing our creative muscles a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. No, I've always, it, as much as I love Texas in a lot of ways, that the clientele can be very, we'll just say particular, um, and, and not yeah. necessarily as flexible as some parts of the country. So, yeah, I mean, you're, you're spot on. That's exactly what I was doing a lot of my restaurants here in Texas where you give them something familiar. And I, I think mm-hmm. a lot of chefs will kind of um, relate to this, but something familiar in an unfamiliar way, um, you know, right. and you give them something familiar to read on the menu that's like, oh, that's in my comfort zone. I got this. And then you kind of, you, right. you almost start training them to, to open up. And, and eat a little bit differently. Um, it's, it's a lot right. about and training your guests. And, and, and your menu phrasing. Yeah. Um, you know, I, there's, I have in our kitchen, I have a spaghetti rule. And if, if one of if, say my Sue comes up to me and, and pitches me this idea, um, if it's a, if it's a dish that's, that I think everyone is going to be super familiar with on their own level, um, and I'm probably not going to run it. I'm not going to run a spaghetti because everybody's idea of what spaghetti ought to be, you know, call, yep. it, call it spaghetti bolognese or, you know, change, change the noodle and call it something else bolognese. They're always going to go to spaghetti and meatballs or, or the homemade spaghetti their mom made. And that's their baseline of judgment. And so you can make the best pasta sauce in the world and the best pasta in the world but they're going to say, is this the best spaghetti? Because my mom made the best spaghetti and this isn't like that. You can't beat my um, mom. And so, right. And so taking those things and, and I mean, burgers are the same thing. You know, you, you had 10,000 different burgers out there, but everybody's got their idea of what the best is. <laughs> and so you can put this super high quality thing out, but if it doesn't taste like, you know, the burger they had at Keller's when they were seven, then it's not going to be the, which by the way, it's a great burger. Um, then yeah. they're not going to be, they're not going to be impressed with it. No, you can't compete with nostalgia. Right. And so you, you have to, like you said, get that accessibility, get something they're familiar with without, um, without competing with the flavor of nostalgia. Yeah. I mean, you wanted to generate some nostalgia a little bit, mm-hmm. you yeah. know, um, you know, I always love to do that where someone would be like, man, where do I remember this from? Or uh, because yeah. the, the beautiful thing about food is, is they've, they've shown that food will uh, import, impart more memory, if you will, um, mm-hmm. than any other uh, facet of life, you know, any other event in life. Because food, yeah. you're what when you get transported to your grandmother's kitchen. You remember the smell of the yep. kitchen, the smell of the table, mm-hmm. like the food you're eating. Like I can go back immediately, you know, and, and, and yeah. I see it all and I can taste it, um, you know, because it hits mm-hmm. all the senses as opposed to yep. any other traumatic event, which is usually not as pleasant. But I mean, it, in, in a lot of ways, it's, it's just very one-sided. So, um, yeah, there's, yeah. 
there's a, a, a dish that I've, I've long wanted to run here called Palushki and Paprikash. And we're, my, my, my ancestry is, is Slovak. Um, and it's a Slovak dish from, from Southern Slovakia. Very, it's a, it's a very Hungarian dish too. Um, to me, it's, it's one of my favorite meals in the world. Uh, we don't run it because there's no way we would sell it. Uh, yeah. There's no way anybody could have that halushki and paprikash and enjoy it the way I enjoy it now because of that nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a great little chicken and dumpling dish. It really is fantastic. Um, but yeah, that that particular nostalgia where it takes you to. How many times uh, have you? I have to. I'm sorry to jump there, but how many times yep. have you ju- like made a meal that like maybe it's something like you remember from your family and it was like the first time you made it. And it was like, you're like, it's good, but it's just not the same. I mean, almost every time. I mean, it still happens with PB and J's. I'm like, oh, PB, peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> and just think to myself, this is a good PB and J, but mom's is better. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, it happens all the time. There's, there's actually a book you, you were, you touched on it with your comment about, um, about, about food and memories. And uh, it's called the perfect meal. Um, and it's the multi-sensory science of food and dining. It's, it's by Charles Spence and, and, and Heston Blumenthal wrote the foreword for it. Um, and it goes into it goes into everything that people sort of don't consider as they're enjoying a meal um, or not enjoying. But it it helps give you perspective on you know what is defining their perception of flavor right now. And is it that nostalgia? Is it those memories? Is it the lights? Is it the music? All that sort of thing. I like um, that. I got to look into that. I'm not yeah, familiar with that book. It's it's super interesting, and it and it it gets really really in depth, and, and um, you know, I I feel like it gets kind of weeded near the near the end of it, um, but um, it's got a lot of really great information in it. Um, just science and, and uh, scientific studies, things like that. Just you know, people can have the exact same food five times and have uh, a completely di- different perception of how it tasted based on uh, based on outside factors. You know, their experience, their their nostalgia, their their comfort at the table, the people around them, that sort of thing. Yeah, because there's so um, many elements. And I mean, I, I know yeah, which, just being in the kitchen too, like when something comes back or when you get that one guest that just comes in pissed uh-huh. off, right? And there's nothing yeah. you're going to do to to save it, right? You know, and they yeah. just, it, well, I've mm-hmm. been to the point where I've gone to the table and be like, listen, I'm sorry, where there's obviously nothing we can do to make you happy anymore. So, I mean, this yeah. is on me. If you want to stay and finish your meal, fine. But otherwise, I mean... I, there's, we're kind of done here, right? So, yeah, and it's you know we we uh, when we opened we had a few of those. Uh, every I think hopefully hopefully every restaurant does when you, when you first open. You know, hopefully it wasn't just us. Um, yeah, but we we struggled. Um, we uh, it was kind of my it was you know it's my first restaurant town. Um, and those first four or five, you know, the first six, eight weeks when we open, you know, it just crushes you when those guests come in. Mm-hmm. Um, well, because you're so when, exposed, like physically, like not physically, yeah. but I mean, physically you're exposed because you're just drained. 
um, but yeah. mentally because yeah. you've got so much vested in it. And I mean, it's so much a part of you. It's hard to not take everything as an attack. Yeah, ex- exactly. Um, and eventually you learn, hopefully you don't become too jaded in the process. <laughs> <laughs> right. But you know, you, you, you learn, um, that those people just, they, they kind of happen and the better you get and the longer you're around, um, and really the better reputation you get, the less they happen because people aren't coming in with a sense of judgment. But having hopefully heard yeah. that you're a good place, they're coming in excited. Um, yeah, and absolutely. they're coming in with that. With you know, it, it, when a restaurant first opens, you get a lot of the people who are coming and say, "All right, well, I'm going to let everybody know how this new place is." Oh, the fucking Yelpers! Um, <laughs> yeah, and uh, and I feel like we we don't have that so much anymore as we have the people coming in. Saying, You've got your loyals. And I've heard great things. I'm, I'm really excited about this. Yeah. yeah. No, I, yeah. And, and, uh, and that's important too, that you kind of touch on because I, I've, I've seen that too, where new restaurants, new owners, um, when, when they start getting that feedback right away, they go into panic mode mm-hmm. and they start making some yep. really bad decisions based on people that will yeah. never be there again. And instead of staying yep. true to their, who they are, they start like, oh, we got to do this. We got to add this. And now all of a sudden their their menu just turns into just a clusterfuck of like some like <laughs> Cheesecake know. Factory rejects, um, you know, and they and completely lose their identity. It's, it's funny that you say it that way because we, what I've noticed is I mean, we're a completely different restaurant than we were when we opened. Uh, we opened for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and brunch. Oof, you hated yourself. Um, I was, yeah, yeah. Um, it was, it was insane. And the, and the bigger issue was they were all popular. Oh no. Um, that's right. I remember. So we, you, you kind of struggled with that. Yeah, we got, we got knocked on our heels. Um, and so we, we never really recovered. And then, you know, when we were on, it was, it was a great experience. Mm-hmm. Um, Dallas Observer came in and named us one of the top 25 restaurants in, in the Dallas area. Um, probably because they came in maybe once or twice and it was a really great experience for them. Uh, what, uh, and I'm grateful for that, but we were so inconsistent in that, in that first year um, that you know some other people didn't have that experience. And then when that story came out, we just got hammered. Yeah. Um, and we already weren't ready for it. Um, and so it was, it, it kind of helped me realize like, okay, like this isn't what I want to do. I don't want to be on my heels all the time. I don't want this to be insane all the time. Um, I want to serve really good meals. Like I want people to come in and take a deep breath and just be like, okay, like I'm, I'm going to be here for 90 minutes and this is going to be great. And so post COVID I kind of said, you know what, we're, we're done with all of the, all of this stuff that I don't love. We're only going to do the stuff that I love. And so it's dinner now. It's just dinner five days a week. We put all our efforts into that. Uh, and and I love I love what we're doing now. Do you think you'll ever open for brunch uh, again? Is it, I mean, those are beatings, but I mean, it's good money too. It is. It's, it's, it's very good money. Um, 
It's hard money though. Those are hard dollars. True. Um, really for, for everybody. And, you know, we're, we're open Sunday night. If we did brunch again, um, we probably wouldn't be open Sunday night. And just having a whole new menu, um, we don't even really have the refrigeration space for all the eggs and all the batter. Um, I, 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 don't, I don't see us doing brunch on a regular basis here anymore. It's just not the experience that I like people to have. Okay. Um, it's super fast. Yeah. It's super rushed. I kind of laugh a little uh, bit. You know, I don't. It, it takes me to back to like uh, restaurants I've been a part of where we didn't do brunch, but we only open for brunch on like Easter and Mother's yeah. Day, and those are the two most yeah. dreaded days of the year. They're the worst. <laughs> nobody's uh, used to it. Everything's new, and by the time yeah. you figure out what you're doing, yeah. I mean. It's it, it's over, yeah. and you're like, let's never do this again. Yeah, I, you know, I I would say that if if we do a brunch again, what I'm going to do is make it reservation only, because we had, you know, when we closed our brunch, people were really sad. Yeah, it was it was a very popular brunch, but, um, you know, we we'd make it reservation only. We probably have four or five things on the menu. Um. You know, I joke that we we wouldn't do eggs at all. <laughs> We'd have to do eggs, just nothing poached, um, right? Yeah, um, but um, I, I I just don't see it. I, I don't I don't find it rewarding or gratifying. Yeah, I understand and, that. You know, I, and I think of you know, I, I think of one of my favorite dining experiences uh, was was the grape mm-hmm. uh, for dinner. And I loved how cozy it was and how quiet it was and how warm you felt when you were there. Um, and their brunch experience, you know, it, it was, it was a faster pace. It was bright outside. It was, you know, the, the intimacy of the grape was, was part of what drew me into it. And you kind of lost a little bit of that at brunch, not through any fault of theirs. I mean, Brian, Brian and Courtney ran a restaurant better than just about anyone. Um, but the vibe of brunch is just different and it's not something that, that I love. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's definitely a lot more hurried. Yeah. 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 Um, well, you can so, you know, slow things down a little bit in, and in do my- uh, bottomless mimosas. And then that way people just <laughs> never leave the table. So you, they, they can't there forever. And- <laughs> Those are my favorite people too. <laughs> hey, can I have my table back, please? <laughs> Right. Um, so I, you know, brunch maybe in the future, not in this building. Okay. Um, it's it's something that that our team does well. Um, but this this isn't the place for it. All right. So not in this building. What does that mean? You got some. You got some plans here. Uh, um, I, I, I always okay. Um, and I I would imagine that that. Most most chefs, particularly most chef owners, do always have you know something noodling noodling in their heads, um, <laughs> and it would be you know I I would love something like uh, you know in my mind my my passion is is the whole animal okay um, the whole animal butchery the 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 curing meats the um, just the fabrication all of it um, the the I love the preservation aspect of, of meat, but I love the preserva- preservation aspect of, of produce as well. The, the pickling, the, the fermentation, all that. Uh, 
and in, in my mind, it would be really cool if um, we could put something together that acted as a commissary for our kitchen, for our restaurant, the Heritage Table, um, but also uh, retail on its own. Uh, there's there's a place uh, moderately similar to what I'm thinking called Revival Market that I haven't been to in a long time. Uh, it's down in Houston, um, and the chef chefs and owners there are, are fantastic. Um, they do a really great job of, of cured meats, butchery, um, but also have a great great breakfast and lunch. Um, something laid back, but uh, but still really really well done. And something like that would be would be super cool. But you know, I'm also, you know, I'm, I'm a chef. I'm always thinking of a burger joint or an ice cream shop <laughs> or a pie shop or you know, I mean, <laughs> you know, that's 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 today's favorite idea, right? No, I mean, it's so I, I kind of see a lot of what you're talking about um, when when you had to pivot during COVID, um, and mm-hmm. you turned into kind yes. of that market. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and that's, how did that work for you? The response was great. Um, and if we hadn't been a 4,800 square foot building on Main Street, um, it's something that might have been sustainable. Uh, but with the revenue that was generating, it was super nice because we weren't going to have any revenue otherwise. Right. Um, but it's not something um, we learned pretty quickly that would have made this sustainable uh it's you know to 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 retail cured meats to retail you know pies baked goods things like that um it's it's still full-time and it's not something we can do as a restaurant and as a retail outlet and it's not something that as a retail outlet would have supported the restaurant when the restaurant wasn't able to make any money Um, but we did learn a lot about the fact that people are really interested in it uh, particularly since it happened suddenly and the response was almost instant. Um, and so it was, it was cool. We learned a lot, um, but we also learned that it's not something that we can do here. Right. Maybe next door. Maybe next door. <laughs> Maybe we'll, we'll, yeah. That building has been <laughs> sit, sitting it's, vacant it's, for a long time. Who knows? Yeah, it has. Um, and so it's, you know, you know, fingers crossed we've, we've got, we've got a little growth yet to do here. Sure. Uh, you know, and that's, that's, that'll always be my, um, a difficult thing for me is saying, you know, this place is ready. Let's start another place because I'm always going to have something I want to improve here. Right. Um, and spend my time and efforts improving here. Um, you know, that's, that's sort of a, sort of a, just a, a problem that I'll, I'll, I'll always have and, you know, just start another place and put more problems on my plate and deal with it that way. But <laughs> as, as an, as a, as a nitpicker, you're, you're never really going to be happy. And I'm, I'm not sure that I'm ever going to feel comfortable saying, all right, yeah, new place because this is done. Yeah. Because it's never going to, like you said, it'll never be done because you're always evolving. It's, you know, the one thing people don't understand is, restaurants, especially as, as the chef in, in creating the menus, um, you have to constantly evolve. I mean, today more mm-hmm. than ever, you've got to be more reactive, um, in, in ways yep. 
and, and staying current um, and just staying mm-hmm. relevant. Yeah, it's it's full time and to stay uh, and to stay in front of people on, on social media. Yeah, which is just not my favorite part. No, uh, but but particularly, you know, the, the fun part of this, of, of what we do is, you know, we'll have. Uh, are you familiar with the name Al Havens? No, I'm not. OK, Al was uh, he was a Sioux um, for Abraham Saloon. And he was Sue uh, at the HG with the HG HG guys. Okay. Um, oh, yeah, with Danielle and super, yeah, um, super super talented. Uh, but he got into the um, uh, he got in with A Bar and Ranch up in Salina, the the Wagyu beef, and he's he's all rep for them now. Oh, um, and he'll show up. Okay, he'll show up some days and just be like, "Hey, we've got this available." I'll be like, okay, what's it look like? And say, you know, it's got this marbling in it, this much fat. You know, you're probably going to look at 20% scrap. I'll say, awesome, I'll take it. Um, and it requires a lot of thinking on our toes because we just got 40 pounds of meat that, you know, I wasn't planning on running beef cheek this week. But, but it's the fun part because you're like, mm-hmm. okay, like this meat does this. It's going to work in this application, this application, this application. You know, let's try this and this. And then you know, maybe eight hours later, you've got a new dish on your plate or on your menu. Yeah. Then um, that's super fun, but it's also, you know, that's how we operate with all our farms is what do they have in stock? Our, our, you know, our, our farm for poultry, you know, they, they sometimes struggle with eggs as all farms do uh, when winter comes, the eggs slow down. Yep. And so we've got to, you know, okay, we're not, you know, we're not making this pasta anymore. That takes too many eggs. We've got to have our deviled, egg, deviled eggs on the menu. So we've got to take many, you know, you've got to reallocate. Um, and so it's it's super on the ball thinking, uh, which makes it fun, but also makes it harder to leave uh, for an extended period, you know, vacations or another restaurant <laughs> or what have you. It's a, you said vacation. What is that again? I've heard other people talk about that. I've I've heard of it too. It's where the unicorns live. Oh, the unicorns, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Over in that fairy tale. Yeah. Line. So, you know, uh, when 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 you're in this creative process and, and you're creating, and mm-hmm. like you said, I mean, you may not see these beef cheeks. You know, you you've got these beef cheeks. You got forty pounds of cheeks. You create something for it. You love yeah. it. You run in it. And you know what, you know, next week you probably won't have it. Maybe you will, maybe you won't. Right. right. Um, how do you mm-hmm. document yep. if at all, like the recipes you create for this stuff and to be able to, I mean, do you ever recall anything and say, you know what, man, we got to do this again. Or are you just running everything like almost from memory? So I've got, I, I say all the time, I'm, I'm a components guy. Okay. Um, like I, every, I don't think in terms of whole dishes, um, and this is, I'm, and I'm not saying this is the right way to do it or the wrong way to do it. You know, my, I think everybody has a different method of dish creation. Absolutely. Um, and, and mine is, um, you know, you have this, you have this meat, you know what it's going to be like after you braise it, assuming you braise it, you know, red wine braise with mirepoix. Um, and, you know that 
what do you want the assertive flavor next to it to be? You know, what do you want the texture to be? And then you kind of go through, okay, so I want this sauce or I want this condiment. Um, I want this texture. What do I have that can achieve that? And so then, you know, you, you have your component. You have your, your meat component. And you have this, this secondary component that's going to complement the meat or, or what have you. Um, that component is what I'll document um, metrically, by the way. Every or whole kitchen is metric. Nice. Okay. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and that one, that one I'll have. You know, the, the dish itself, uh, you know, you take a picture of it and, and, and you can look at it and be like, okay, that's what that is. And as long as you have that component, those components, as long as you know how you braise the beef, you know, your little thing on the side. Um, and I'll, you know, if you have a, a, a couple of veg in there and a different sauce or some, whatever, um, you know, you look at the picture and you say, okay, that was that, that was that, that was that you can go into the recipe that's in metric, see all the percentages and say, okay, do I want to tinker with this percentage a little bit next time? Do I want to make this a little more acidic. Um, but it's, it's all there. We're, we're pretty heavily, I pretty heavily document everything we do, um, uh, because I'm really forgetful. <laughs> Um, and it, and it really, and it just bothers me, because uh, you, you, I've made a lot of things before that I haven't documented and you're like, ah, oh, oh, hell, I didn't, I didn't know this was going to turn out that well. <laughs> Why didn't I write it down? <laughs> oh, uh, I, I'm, we've probably all been there for that one. I know I have, because I, I, I don't yeah, write anything um, you know, down. Yeah. And I, I didn't, um, and I do now. I've got, you know, I've got the notepad that fits in my pocket. I've got the, I've got the big notepad. I've got the, I mean, if there's a piece of paper around me, I'm going to make sure that I'm writing on it just because I don't want that to happen again. Um, and it really frustrates the hell out of me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But for the most part, like when you're looking at the entire dish, as much as I hate to say it, like if I want to go back and look at what we've done, mm-hmm. uh, sure, man, I'll go on Instagram. <laughs> You know, and be like, okay, yeah, that was a good idea. That was a good idea. That was, this needs that next time. This needs that next time. Uh, but it's it's visual. It's it's super visual, and it helps you recall it real fast. Yep. And you can kind of take that and use use your old dishes as a template. At least the ones the ones that worked well. Right. Yeah, yeah. No, I know. I've been to that, and um, I, I I've kind of gone through my own phase, if you will, where I, I didn't write anything down until years. It, it, for me, cooking was also a lot of very organic, right? Where you just kind of let it, right. you just go, right? And you, you're tasting, yeah. you're moving through. And then when it got to the mm-hmm. point where I needed to document all the recipes, you know, because we're building a restaurant or something, then I'd go through and take mm-hmm. a much more scientific approach to kind of recreating the, that original dish, right? While it was still fresh in my memory. Yeah. Um, because it was yeah. also a lot of the times when, uh, when you're building restaurants, you make so many damn dishes that documenting <laughs> yeah. everything as you go is just, mm-hmm. it, I mean, it's, it's futile. I mean, you're, it's burdensome. Absolutely. Um, and I've also, you know, for me, like just, writing down as I cook almost feels like it's taking, I don't want to say the passion out of it. Um, but no, it takes the magic. It away. does. 
Yeah, and it's uh, and in fact, it's it's funny you say that. Uh, like I'll I'll tell a lot of my a lot of my cooks, you know, like doing things metrically um, takes a tremendous amount of passion out of it or of, of magic out of it, because then you're looking at this and you can say, oh, okay, like our salt ratios in a lot of our recipe are between this percentage and this percentage. Mm-hmm. Like, like, okay, or you know, if if we exceed this percentage of cayenne in any recipe, it's going to be too spicy. Like, you almost you don't you don't turn the recipes into math, but you start seeing a lot of consistencies. Um, you know, and you start seeing that the variation in a lot of different foods is a lot smaller than you think it is. Um, no, that's true. You know, you know what's the. Uh, you know, human human DNA is what ninety nine point nine nine percent the same for all of us. Yeah, and it's that little little variability that makes us different. Um, you know, it's not that close to food, but it's still one of those things where you look at and you say, "Hey, like like salt." You know, I would say that you know every every good restaurant out there you know, doesn't vary really a whole lot on their on their use of salt. I'd say the percentage is all pretty close around the same. I would agree with that. Uh, and, you know, you, you just start to think, okay, the, you know, the, the quality of a dish is defined uh, by, by fewer things uh, than you would think. But those fewer things need to be done particularly well, particularly well. Yep. Particularly well. <laughs> yeah. <There> we <laughs> No, and I am honestly, I, I, I'm all about the metric system, um, when documenting, um, you know, I, yeah. I've faced plenty of resistance with that, um, with some of my teams in the, in the past, and, um, you know, I had one guy that, the, you know, the chef for the restaurant that was going to be running the, the place after I created it and handed it off afterwards, went through and converted mm-hmm. everything back to standard. And I was like, motherfucker, um, <laughs> And and look, I, like I, I won't I won't throw shade either. Like that's how that's how we all grew up learning measurements. Well, but there's uh, the the standard system. Like once you learn metric, it's really easy. I, I yeah. mean, honestly, it's yeah. so it's, much easier and more consistent than standard. Mm-hmm. In in some ways, like that's, faster. Oh, so I, I would I would say in most ways probably faster because you're. You know, you're dumping things into a into a cambro on a scale, yeah, or into a bowl on a scale, rather than you know, where's 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 the cup measure thing? Where's where's the half cup? Yeah, you know. All right, I'm scaling this recipe up. Uh, I need 42 teaspoons. Okay, let's do the conversion yeah, on that. You're right. Okay, you know. Yeah, I need yeah. 16.3 yeah, tablespoons now, and you're like, what? 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 You know, right? How, how are you scaling? Are you scaling up one and a quarter cup by thirty percent? Yeah, you you don't. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm 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 a huge advocate for the uh, for the metric system to the chagrin of many people that have worked in my restaurant, but uh, I I go on unrelenting. Yeah. Well, I, I will say though, I mean, like the cookbooks. You know, I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna. This is kind of a lead up for for this, but cookbooks. Right. Cookbooks Mm -hmm. designed for home cooks. One thing, and I don't know who started this, if it was the butter industry or if it was cookbook authors, but what the fuck is one tablespoon Mm -hmm. of butter? 
<laughs> I, I I can tell you. Um, it's it's about it's about thirteen. Yeah, grams. it's about half an inch, right? <laughs> right. Or something. You know, yeah. on, on one of those cubes. You know, it's like, yeah, okay. So thirteen grams. You've done some conversions. Um, yeah, right. and I've always been like, you look at it and you're like, one tablespoon. I'm like, what? How did that suddenly become a measurement for butter? Yeah, yeah, the, it's the the mo measurement. Yeah, I'm I'm not sure. Uh, Particular. Well, actually, I, I I have a theory. So here's my theory. Butter hasn't always been refrigerated, right? Okay. How much easier is a tablespoon of butter when it's just room temp butter? Like that's natural, right? Just grab a tablespoon, scoop it in. It's when we started refrigerating our butter that that became an absolute aspect. Right, I can see that. Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll stand by that one. It's not a hill I'm going to die on, but that uh, hill makes a hell of a lot more sense than <laughs> anything else. I mean, I'll throw that out. Yeah, theory. I mean, at one point, yeah, I mean, people would just like literally have just a crock of butter on the countertop. Yeah, yeah, and in Texas, hell, it was probably liquefied. <laughs> okay, so this crock of butter was invented before air conditioning. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Culinary historians. Culinary historians. Yeah, we, I can, we cracked Da Vinci's code here. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but still, I mean, we've got to find another way to update that somehow. I don't, I mean. Yeah. You know, a lot of cook, I, I think a lot of cookbook authors, particularly the serious ones now, uh, and, and quote unquote serious, they're all serious. Uh, that's yeah. Um, but the ones that are more, um, uh, specific, you know, your, your modernist cuisines, your, mm-hmm. a lot of your, uh, a lot of your more, uh, you know, 11 Madison park style books are going to have your metric measurements in there. Um, and, and that I'm, I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful to see the trend trend coming out. Uh, cause I'm sure restaurants have always done it metrically and just had, the, right. The publishing companies were saying, no, we got to do it this way for the home cooks. Well, I mean, and, books like that are designed for the professional. Right. Yeah. I, I can't yeah. imagine too many home cooks are, are picking something up by Daniel Hom and trying to recreate that at home. Yeah. I mean, I know there I, are, I, but you know, I can't imagine. Sure. Um, and, and it's, you know, we, we, did, a, we did a recipe for a, a Frisco publication a while back. And I told them, hey, we do our, our recipes in metric. They're like, Can you convert it? It's like, I'll convert it for you, but you also have to publish it in metric hmm. because that's like, that's how it is. And so did they? I'm, I'm not, I'm not, um, no, no, it was all, it was, it was all standard. <laughs> and I, I fought it, but ultimately, you know, they have the pen. Right, right. Um, um, and it's, it, it's a matter of principle that probably I didn't need to. I didn't need to expend as much effort as I did trying to convince them that it needed to be a metric, but you know, that's, that's how I, I would have been curious to see Stubborn. the feedback from people when it, when, yeah, I mean, whenever something's published, it's all going to get published online as well. And man, everybody's yeah. got a fucking opinion about it. So I wonder how many people would embrace uh, it or even notice. I would, you know, my, my suspicion is that, 
when uh, any recipe on the internet or any recipe in what have you, Southern living, 99.9% of the people that read it, look at it and say, Oh, that's nice. I'm going to make it and then turn the page. Right. Um, which is cool. I mean, that's really, that's what I do now is when I see something cool, I'm like, Oh, okay. Like that's cool. I'm not going to make that, but noted. It's inspiration. You know, like, uh, yeah, yeah. Like I can, uh, that's, that's cool looking. I can, I can maybe, I can maybe pull something from that. So, uh, but I, I no, yeah. I was going to say like, so like, man, I, there's a couple questions I want to get to. Um, but first, like, mm-hmm. so books, right. We're kind of floating yeah. around that right now. Um, what, yeah. what, what books are you following right now or are on your shelf? Like, all the time that you use for reference. Um. So on, on food and cooking is, is uh, I'm always reading it uh, because there's too much information in there for me to ever fully. Um, right. Remember, uh, you know, I've, I have, it's, it's a 10 year process and I've got, I've got note cards with all the information on it. You know, you, it's not a, it's not an airplane read. Um, and I don't, I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with on food. Yeah. Harold McGee. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's the information in there is it, it's a tone of, of culinary. Uh, uh, yeah. Of it, culinary, not wisdom, but really facts, just culinary facts. Um, but scientific facts, you know, from, a, from a, even a molecular level, just how food works. Yes. Um, and those are the, and those are the books that, that appeal to me are, you know, you, you can put, put a recipe together and say that works. I know that it works, but what I want to know why? Is, is why it works and how it works. Um, and how, how you're able to manipulate, um, certain things a certain way, uh, why they react that way and how you can maybe translate that to something else or to a dish or, or really just, just, understand how it works how it hits your palate why it tastes this way when it hits your palate you know i mean hell why sugar's sweet you mm-hmm. know uh, and and why why meat isn't caramelized it's mayor mayordized uh, you know all, all that sort of stuff uh, that's that's what i'm interested in the uh, the modernist cuisine you know when that came out 10 years ago uh, my wife was really upset with me for spending that amount of money on a <laughs> basically a series of cookbooks. Right. Um, but it was revelatory. Um, you know, it's, it's not stuff we're going to use in our restaurant. We can't, we can't pull, you know, we're not using $10,000 you know, centrifuges, but you still, you still kind of understand why things work a certain way after reading that book. Yeah. And I mean, you never uh, necessarily know where that inspirational light bulb moment's going to happen. Exactly. Um, you know, when we, when we were coming up with our pastrami recipe, like I cross-referenced, I cross-referenced modernist cuisine, like, okay, it's still pastrami. Like they do all this crazy shit to it, but you know, the ingredients are still ingredients that you would find in pastrami, any pastrami. Um, and it's just, it's, it's cool to see uh, what people can do with food. It's cool to understand what you can do with food. 
uh, if you if you understand how it works. Yeah, no, that's good because it's is when it comes to that creation moment where you're looking for that because, like you said, you you don't have that ten thousand dollar centrifuge, but you know there's right. like you want to make that pastrami. You're you're talking about, but you've got other limitations in your kitchen. Like you don't have a smoker, um, or right. you, you know, so it's like, okay, how can I find ways to kind of work through this and, uh, and and just figure it out? So, yeah, the the innovation in the creation is oh, and you say that I'll, I'll clarify. We do have a smoker. I know you weren't saying I don't have a smoker. You were saying right. That, <laughs> uh, yeah, the 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 innovation aspect of the, the you know, necessity is the mother of invention aspect mm-hmm. is I think it appeals to all, all chefs who aren't really you know, the clipboard chefs, but the, the creative chefs. <laughs> um, I think that's, that's part of the, the creative drive for it. The clipboard chefs. Um, I like that. <laughs> um, but while, while we're kind of talking cookbooks, I, I, you know, the, to me lately, I've, I've bought a lot, I bought many fewer Fewer cookbooks than I used to, mm-hmm. um, but the Noma Guide to Fermentation has been one of the really big ones the past few years. That's kind of uh, re-energized my my passion for for uh, fermentation, and it was something that was there before. Um, but getting back into that uh, and seeing how they how they approach it uh, was was really cool, and it kind of gave me. Uh, gave me a renewed passion for it. Right on. Um, this is kind of in the same vein, but it's not the fermentation. Uh, but have you played with, uh, mm-hmm. Koji at all? I have. In fact, played with is, is the exact way to put it. <laughs> um, because it's, it's something that I've, we, we had a little, you know, made it a few times. It's like, Hey, this is, this is great Koji. Um, and then, and stopped. <laughs> um, probably because it doesn't have. I'm not able to yet figure out its applications for our menu. Sure. Um, and how to incorporate it into a menu at the heritage table in a hundred year old Texas house that used to be on a farm. You know what I mean? Um, I, I can't. I can't figure out a way to make it fit. Yeah, that makes sense. I will say though, uh, I, the one I've uh, well, I think it was I've only played with it once, and uh, it, was, it was more uh, than that. But it was one period, and it was right before I was leaving the restaurants, and uh, and mm-hmm. I actually used uh, an A Bar and Ranch uh, picanha, and it kind of cut that yep. into fairly thicker steaks, and then blended up uh-huh. koji more into a powder, and then air dried. Then coated. Yeah. It. And then yep. air dried that for about 72 hours. Um, and man, what it did to the fat cap. I mean, it just, yep. I, it almost tasted like foie gras. I mean, just, right. right. And, and I mean, I, you got so much more almost kind of, I don't want to say livery, um, but just more earthiness yeah. started coming out of it. Um, and I was just, yeah. it was like, man, yeah, this it's... is, it was, it, it was interesting how it transformed it. Yeah, it's that it's that almost mushroomy, but it's not mushroomy. Mm-mm. It's um, and it's not blue cheesy, uh, but it's that uh, it's the depth. Yeah, the depth is the best way I can put it. 
Um, I know, I know, um, you know, in fact, the only person offhand I can say who's, who's really, um, just awesome at Koji is, is Misty, uh, mm-hmm. Misty Norris at, at Petra. Um, and I think it's, it's cool that a lot of people are starting to realize what it can do, um, uh, and, and, and really what it is 20 years ago. I, I don't think Koji was, was on anybody's, uh, uh, radar shit but it's it's cool to see how how that um is kind of developing into uh, you know, just another way that, that chefs can go and produce like yeah i want to say i mean probably five years ago is when it started showing up on anybody's radar yeah i mean yeah it's in it's a culinary pretty, use right it's been around obviously for yeah forever but centuries yeah uh, yeah, I mean, for me, it was in fact it was the Noma, the Noma, Noma's Koji is what I made. Okay. Uh, and again, another endorsement worked great. <laughs> now what? Uh, we we just we yeah we just we just don't have an application for it. Um. So, what inspires you? <sighs> um. You know, it's it's funny because I, I I think of that a lot like what's what's driving me it's um i think we all do what's, what's my motivation here um as far as as far as dish creation goes uh, as far as menu development um I'm, I'm i just love to create um i grew up playing playing with legos hours on end um it's it's something that is a little different, you know. I, I like to I like to compare food to architecture when it comes to art, right? Um, people need places to live. That can be a box. It can be completely utilitarian, um, but it's still a box. It still needs to be designed. Um, food is is kind of the same way. You know, you can have a protein bar, and there's no art to it, but it it still satisfies yeah, it's that fuel. Yeah, and I think you have to have—I have to have—as a chef, a that desire to feed people, uh, whatever it is. You, you almost have to have this desire for, to help others, um, to to want to to help others. Um, you know, you want to nourish them. You want you want to help them, um, and then from the creative aspect you have to have that desire to want them to love it. Like to look at it and be like, I appreciate this thing on more than a utilitarian level. Um, you know, art, art in my mind is something that um, has no practical purpose. It only has, it only has a purpose that can be appreciated. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Does that make sense? It does. Um, and so, you know, the more, the more artistic your food becomes, perhaps the less utilitarian it becomes. Um, and my drive is to, is to find that point where, you know, are we 70% art and 30% utilitarian? You know, <laughs> at, at what point can you push, can you push that creative aspect while still absolutely fulfilling that aspect that people just need to be fed. Um, they need to be nourished. And I think where you, wherever you're able to reach that highest apex for both of them is where you want to be. And I'm kind of motivated by finding that. Um, do you think by finding that point? Do you think uh, 
that point of people coming out to eat, you know, post COVID, are they looking more for entertainment than they did in the past? Or do you think it's less? We've changed so much that it's hard for me to say. Fair enough. Um, I will say that our, our guests, um, seem to be more responsive to menu changes um, to more ambitious ideas than they used to be. Um, we have a lot of whole, a lot of the same guests we had before COVID, but not a tremendous amount. Um, on, a, on any given Friday and Saturday night, we're probably still 50-50 on return guests and new guests. And that has a lot to do with the influx of people that, that Frisco has seen. Oh, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I would say with all the variables considered with the heritage table and how much we've changed and how much our menu's changed, all that, the people are more willing. Um, they're more eager to see something new that they haven't seen before than they were when we opened, which is cool. That's, that's what you want. Yes. Um, as, as at least, at least the chef that, that wants to to create uh, and innovate. That's that's exactly what you want, and it's cool to see that we had it. No, I would say restaurants that are. <laughs> I almost fell into this trap of saying chef driven because I that's another term I hate. <laughs> <clears throat> you know, but they're they're right. they're truly controlled by a chef, right? Um, uh-huh. And yep. uh, and, and I still believe one hundred percent that the most successful restaurants in the world are owned and operated by chefs, right? Um, uh-huh. And because they've got more control um, and right. they're able to, you know, put stuff out there, get the feedback, make adjustments and go. And so many times people like chefs are just going to be a little bit more adventurous. They're going to want to push things mm-hmm. a little bit more as opposed to someone mm-hmm. that's like, Hey, you know what? The PL statement it looks fine. Don't fuck with it. Stop doing this. You right. know what? Just put the spaghetti and meatballs back on the fucking menu. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. And it's just like, uh, and you're just in so many ways, it's mm-hmm. almost like soul crushing. You're like the guests want more The oh, staff it, it wants more. Even right. And all you want to do is give it to mm-hmm. them, but you've got someone standing there putting up this big ass wall. That's like, you can't create, you can't innovate. there's nothing wrong this is the moneymaker this is the moneymaker yeah Mm -hmm. and it's like okay well in five years when he closes this place down or you come to me and be like why aren't people coming back they're going over here now or they're going over here like uh, you know that's on you because it's stale yeah yeah um it's you know i i have to be that person to myself sometimes Uh, Mm um it's you know we, we take our chicken piccata it's it's a great dish it's Every time I have it, and I really, you know, when you're creating a dish, you'll have all the components. Um, but it, at least for me, in my restaurant, like I'll have our plated dishes very infrequently. Uh, it's the first <laughs> time I make it, and after, after I'm after I'm showing people how to make it, you know, that's that's how it needs to be made from that point on. It shouldn't change at all. Right. Um, and then every once in a while, when I have our piccata, you know, if I'm just doing that, hey, run this. I want to see. I want to make sure you're doing it right. Um. I'm like, damn, this is this is a really, really good dish. Uh, and I'm I'm so sick of it. <laughs> like, I'm so sick of it being on our menu. 
<laughs> and, and people love it. And it's our highest selling dish. And, you know, I look at it, I'm like, I want to change ricotta. I want to change ricotta. And the servers are like, people love ricotta. People love ricotta. All right. Like, well, all right, we'll leave it on this menu. But but know that it might change. Okay, Rich. <laughs> well, that one, I think you you have to just kind of, if you if you mothball it, you, you've got to leave it alone. And then just every now and then bring it yeah. back. I don't know. Stuff like that, you can't just tweak a little bit because at that point, you're just going to piss people off. Um, you yep. know, as opposed to just pulling it and completely replacing it, um, you know, yeah. well, and it, and it, it takes me back to a story. I realized we're referencing Brian Lusher a lot. Um, but, uh, a story he told me once about the grapes, mushroom soup. <laughs> That's um, only what, 40 years old he, at the time. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, I mean, the, the mushroom soup was legendary. It was a, it was a Dallas icon and. He was just like, I've, I've tried to change the recipe to it, and people revolted. Like, I can't change the recipe. I can't do anything to it. It's just, it's on our menu, and people love it, and it is what it is. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah, okay, like, I, I guess I get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I totally get it now. Yeah, no, and I mean, um, I got to look that up. Uh, I'll, I'll send it to you, but it was at uh, Momofuku, uh, where it was their pork mm-hmm. belly. And I mean, it yeah. was in... Yeah. He, it was one of those things like he had to take it off to be able to, to become more innovative, so to speak. And to, and to right. challenge the guests, you know, he's like, it might come back. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. same thing. I mean, so many people are like, you took it off. You got to put, you know, and it's like, in some ways, it's like you almost have to take it off to allow people to see the rest of the menu, kind of take the blinders off. Right. Yeah, that's that's a, a great way to put it. And when I take it off the menu, I want to send people to you and they get pissed off at me. Hey, <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> all right. Hey, I'm used to it. You know, right? Yeah. Aren't we yeah. All? I mean, yeah, twenty odd years in this industry. You know, uh, i yeah, go for it. Um, uh, <laughs> No, but the replacement dish is going to be great. Believe me. Oh Just yeah. No, I mean you're not going to put something yeah. in there that's subpar or something you're not. If you're not in love with it, obviously you're not going to do it. Um, well, and it's funny. It's funny because you look at and I don't, I don't know. If, I imagine it was You know, I look at dishes that I put out three years ago that people loved, um, thought were great. I will look back at them and I'm like, man. Three years ago, Rich was an idiot. <laughs> like, what was I thinking with that dish? And it's just, it's, it's funny how our own evolution um, kind of makes us judge, judge who we were and, and, and the product we were putting out. Kind of like that ricotta, people love it. It's, it's a favorite dish at the restaurant. And I look at it, and I'm just like, okay, could have done this, could have done this, could have done this, but I can't do it now. Yeah, like it's, it's too late now. Yeah, I, I love how you brought that up. Um, is I love to do that um, at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'd always go back and look at menus in, in um, our specials and things that we did. And you just like, just, just watching the progression, um, you know, and you always yeah. look back and you're like, man, that's some amateur shit I was doing. You know, it's like, how did that ever <laughs> work? <laughs> why, why, was that, yeah. Was I just lazy that day? Or what? <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's so, yeah, it's even, 
even with sourcing, even with, uh, yeah, you know, I, I look back and I think, okay, like I could have done this better. I could have done this better. I could have, you know, we could have used a greater percentage of this or that. Uh, every, everything we do is, is you know, subject to our own criticism later. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I, exactly the same way. I, and, and I would tell people, whether it was my cooks or, or Sue's, and I was like, hey, listen, like, you know, I, I would tell everybody this day one, right? Like, I'm mm-hmm. not going to be happy with anything. It doesn't mean it's not good, but I right. just personally right. think that there's something that we can do to make it better. So don't take anything personally yep. when I don't just, if you present mm-hmm. me with something and I don't just fucking roll out the bandwagon and just be like, whoa, you know, it's like, it's a fucking party. It's like, no, I mean, I'm going to give you a lot of feedback because it's the same thing I'm going to do to my dishes. Yeah. Like just because it's on the menu. Yeah, I mean, I, yes, I enjoy it. I love it, uh, but it's not perfect, nor will it ever be. Right. Because there's right. that quote. I, no such thing as perfect. Dish. I mean, in perfection is, is a journey. It's not a destination. Right? right. So, right. And I mean, it's just, you know, it's the moment you, that you're content so to speak, um, with a dish and saying mm-hmm. it's perfect, I'm going to leave it alone. Then, ugh. yeah, I've, I've, uh, it's a couple things. The, the couple eye roll things that I say to my kitchen is, um, and I would have rolled my eyes too in that position is what's good enough for what's good enough for yesterday is not good enough for today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the, uh, no, no dish is ever perfect. Like if I ever say, if I ever say things are good enough, it's time to leave. Yeah. Right. Uh, because, because then you're not going to be growing. I'm not going to be growing. And things will just be getting stale. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll be encouraging. I, I want people to grow here because their growth obviously is everything. The, the growth of the people around you means your restaurant's going to grow. Yeah. Um, you want to put them in that position to grow, but you also want them to understand really nothing's ever going to be good enough. Um, and it shouldn't be, and that's okay. Uh, you know, they're good enough, but, but the product always, 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 the experience always needs to be improved. Yeah. I mean, uh, even in the smallest detail, because if you've hit good enough, that means you've also lost your drive. Right. So right now creation and a lot of stuff, like when, when you hit that rut, Right. We've all mm-hmm. been there where it's just kind of, it feels like there's just nothing. You're tired. You know, you're, you're kind of on that edge of burned out. You've got to be able to create something like, how do you get yourself out of that rut? Like what, what do you find? <laughs> like, you know, I mean, it, it, it's not an easy question, right? And sometimes it's just time. There was, yeah. And, and it, you know, the, the, the good and the bad of it is the longer you've been around, the more likely it is you're going to hit that rut. But also, the greater portfolio portfolio you have to draw from. Yeah. Um, you know, you can kind of look back and say, okay, well, I did this, I did this, so I can I can do this, I can make it new this way. I mean, you have you have to force production sometimes. Um, I remember John Lennon quote. Um, it was it was yeah, I can I can make a song. Um, I can make a song anytime, and it'll be a good song but I find the best ones are the ones that come organically. I have paraphrased. Right. Um, but it's the same thing with dish creation. You know, I can make a good dish. I can force a good dish and it'll taste good. And guess I'll probably like it a lot. You know, fingers crossed a lot. Um, but my favorite ones are still the ones that come organically. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and you just kind of have to, even a, you know, a, a, a baseball player in a slump, you still got to go up to bat. You still got to swing, and eventually you're gonna you're gonna end the slump. That's kind of how you have to do it. You just got to go up there and keep swinging, and and then it'll it'll start coming back again. At least that's been my experience. Is it starts flowing, you get that first hit, and you're like, okay, you start riding that wave again. Okay, 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 and then you have a new menu out, and or at least the the bones of a new menu out in an hour and a half. Right. No, it's funny you mentioned that because it's uh, I've been told, you know, where uh, it's the same thing. You know, it's like the more I work on a dish, the more it sucks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> And it's, and it's, and the worst of it is that if you knock it out really fast, you never have that feeling that you paid it enough attention. Like if it all comes out super quick and you've got this beautiful dish at the end, it tastes great. Like I always had this nagging doubt, like, yeah, but that only took me this long. Like I should have, I should have sat down for another hour and really thought this through. Uh, but usually that hour just ends up in frustration and, and, and you may be making the dish worse. Because you're overthinking it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well. So yeah, it's 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 basically basically the key to success is uh, <laughs> is is um, never trusting yourself. I'm always going with the gut feeling. You're never good enough. Follow your gut. <laughs> right. 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 Just a just a constant chip on your shoulder from imperson or from uh, uh, an imposter syndrome. Okay. That's that's my drive. That's my drive to answer the question from a while back. Yeah. Okay. Constantly, I I belong here. Constantly proving myself real or imagined to people that are judging me. Yeah. Oh man! In today's world, where you're judged for everything, I mean, I get that. Mm-hmm. I get that quite a bit. So, um, well, chef. On that, I, I no, I was yeah. going to say. I mean, uh, what else am I not asking you here? So I actually just looked at the clock. I oh. mean, we're going a little long, so I don't want to take up too much of your time. Oh, no, no. Um, I, nothing, nothing, uh, nothing that I can say that would, that would be of any real import. I, uh, although I, I would think so, I guess that's a matter of perspective. Uh, I do, I do have the, uh, the luxury of having one hand. Uh, which that's an interesting uh, luxury. Yeah. Well, it is, it is. Cause, cause when you're, when you're a chef, you know, we, when I was the catering company, it was just me. And, and obviously I was, I was doing all the prep, all the, all the production, all that sort of thing. Um, but in the, in the kitchen, you know, I, I can work on a line. Great. Um, but it's the first real, um, first real time in my life where I've been put in a position where I need to produce for a living that I'm not as good as I would like to be at it because of the fact that I've only got one hand. You know, I grew up playing basketball, playing golf, playing football, uh, crossing monkey bars and juggling were really the only two things that I wasn't able to do. Um, and, right. and I can, and I can, and I'm perfectly, perfectly functional on a line. Um, but seeing, seeing other people, you know, it's, Seeing other people go faster um, used to bother me a lot, um, but now it's kind of the kind of the okay. Like I don't, I don't need to be doing that anyway. Like if I'm if I'm ever on the line, you know, if you're ever if you ever see the chef on the line, um, 
in a, in a pretty high production restaurant, either he's just knocking off the rust or something has gone wrong. Yeah. Um, and then that's why I call it a luxury. Cause my, you know, my, my team, uh, kind of understands that. Yeah. <laughs> but I actually feel like, Hey, you got two hands. You want to carry this in the walk-in? <laughs> yeah. No laughing. It works out well. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's on a, on a podcast. You don't really get to see it. It's a, it's a, it's an interesting, uh, facet kind mm-hmm. of, of who I am that, that I think lends, lends a little bit of a, a twist to our kitchen. Um, you know, menu, menu creation, that sort of thing. It really doesn't matter, but you talk about the chip on your shoulder and I talk about the chip on my shoulder jokingly. Um, but because I've only got one hand, it's kind of the reason I have one, uh, a, a constant desire to kind of prove people, prove people wrong. Again, whether the judgment is real or imagined, um, you know, all of that kind of goes to that, to that drive we were talking about earlier right? to get real, uh, to get real psychological about it. Uh, and I think that that plays into a lot of it and you know, to kind of, Kind of go through a, a, a little 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 discussion about myself, and to admit that feel would would kind of leave out a little bit of the story. No, absolutely. Yeah, because yeah. honestly, we we, we uh, start we went from the elevator pitch right into uh, <laughs> what, what the hell is new American cuisine? Right. So, right. Well, chef, I really appreciate you taking the time. So, absolutely, it was my it was my pleasure, and um, and I'm. I'm Really, really honored to be a part of it. Thanks. And thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Pressure Cooker. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the show and leave us a comment. We'd love to hear from you on how we're doing. And lastly, if you'd like to be on the show, go to InsideThePressureCooker.com and fill out the form. It'll tell me a little bit about you, some of your story, and how it applies to the show. We'd love to hear from you and love to have you on the